Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. And hello, Las Vegas. It is Thursday. We're nearing the end of the week. You're in the final stretch, and you're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL LP 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. We're streaming online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at KVXL 101.com. Our thanks to those of you tuned in over at the 405media.com as well. It's great to have you here with us. Sunday morning, if you'd like to join us for church at Liberty Baptist, we are located on Rainbow and Lake Mead, and we would love to have you here. If you'd like to be part of the show, a couple different ways you can do that. You can call us at 702-647-4522. You can tweet me at the Frittle. You can also email us radio at experienceliberty.com. So we're going to do some headlines today, talk about some problems in our country, talk about some good news, talk about Vladimir Putin, Justin Bieber, George Zimmerman. This guy, he is auctioning off now the gun that was shot and killed Trayvon Martin. I just heard this, like literally moments before we came on the air, because it was on SRN News, which is on right before me. Hadn't seen that story. And my initial reaction to this is, you're kidding, right? Like, you're asking for so much trouble when you do this. What? I... And I'm sure he probably can make money off of it because people would see it as a historic piece, regardless of which side of that discussion they take. But I, I think it's too soon. You, you can't do this right now. You're just asking for trouble. But, you know, it's that's just my initial thoughts there. Donald Trump is now have a nickname, is now have a nickname. That, children, is terrible grammar. That's what happens when your brain is thinking faster than your mouth can follow along. In case you were wondering. Donald Trump is now calling Senator Sanders... Crazy Bernie. Crazy Bernie trended on Twitter for most of the day yesterday. (laughs) And surprisingly, it was Bernie Sanders supporters who were most using it. They are wholeheartedly embracing the nickname, saying everyone who's ever done anything successful in the past has been dubbed crazy or insane, etc., etc. And they have a good point. And it's going to stick. Trump will make it stick, so you may as well embrace it. But what I have never understood, because nicknames are effective, especially if you reuse them to brand people and influence voter opinions. Trump did it in the primary. Now he's doing it again. He's going with Crooked Hillary, Crazy Bernie. But I'm surprised that neither Hillary or Sanders, not to mention the GOP contenders from the primary, I'm surprised they don't jump on this bandwagon and give Mr. Trump some names to brand him back. I I don't know why no one is going that angle. Because it's not like it's a hard thing to do. You just pick any derogatory adjective you want, whether or not it's true, and just stick it to the front of their name and use it whenever you talk about them. 
Bam, branded, done. Not difficult. Although I feel like it would probably drive Mr. Trump a little bit crazy. If it, like, can you imagine someone? <laughs> I won't. I won't do it. I won't come up with any nicknames. But I don't think that it's a hard thing to do, and it's effective. Is it kind of childish? I would say yes. Is that probably why the other GOP contenders didn't try it? Probably yes. But it obviously is working. People are embracing the nicknames. And despite her promise not to raise taxes on anyone making less than $250,000 a year, Mrs. Clinton said in an interview last week that she would not veto a bill raising taxes on the middle class. Which is a huge flip-flop for her. And there's been so many flip-flops in the candidates this election already. It's just, it's hard to keep track, really. I mean, Mr. Trump did something similar with taxes over over the weekend, where he was for raising them and then, no, that's not actually what I meant, but yes, they're going to go up, but no, they're not. And you're like, okay, I'm so confused right now. Which one is it? But this is big news from Hillary, who claims to be the one and only solution for the middle class. That she would not veto a bill to raise taxes on the middle on the middle class. This is from Americans for Tax Reform. Hillary Clinton would not veto a middle class payroll tax increase if it reached her desk as president, she said Monday at an Iowa candidate forum. The admission is a stunning reversal of her repeatedly stated pledge not to raise taxes on any American making less than $250,000 per year. Okay, so I guess this was actually this week. It was on Monday that she said this. Clinton made the middle-class tax promise in November and in the ensuing weeks has continually cited the pledge as she campaigned across the country. But on Monday, during the Brown and Black Democratic Presidential Forum at Drake University in Des Moines, Clinton was pointedly asked if she would veto a payroll tax. Moderator Alicia Menendez said, Democrats have introduced a plan that Senator Sanders supports that you've come out against because it is funded by a payroll tax. If that were to reach your desk as president... Would you veto it in order to make good on your tax pledge? To which Mrs. Clinton replied, no. Clinton's outright admission that she would break her middle-class tax pledge follows a December 6th remark that the pledge was a mere goal. The goal comment took place during an interview on ABC's This Week hosted by George Stephanopoulos. Stephanopoulos said, you are also saying no tax increases at all on anyone earning $250,000. Is that a rock-solid read-my-lips promise? Which is, I I think Stephanopoulos was being kind of tongue-in-cheek right there. Clinton replied, well, it certainly is my goal, and I've laid it out in this campaign, and it's something that President Obama promised. It's something that my husband certainly tried to achieve, because I want Americans to know that I get it. She did not expand or expound upon what it is that she wants us to know that she gets. The plan referenced in Monday's forum is the Family Act, which calls for a payroll tax increase on all Americans levied on all wages of those making less than $113,000 a year. Yeah, that's not cool. I'm, I'm thinking that if you're running as a Democrat on the Democratic platform of you're all about the middle class... Middle class, no taxes. Um, then only raising taxes on the wealthy Americans, you know, those successful people that deserve to be punished. Then 
this is probably not going to go well for you with your supporters, especially when you're trailing. Bernie Sanders is just on fire right now. Or maybe that is maybe that's why she's saying this, because the Sanders uh, people, it's it was specifically posed to her as a would you vote for the plan that Senator Sanders supports? And so she's trying to win over some of those Sanders people. That's the only thing I can think of. Otherwise, I I do not understand why, if you're Hillary, that you would say this. Because you're trying to position yourself as the middle class person, even though you can't relate at all because you're making like a bazillion dollars for every speech you give. Which, by the way, is an exaggeration. It's not a bazillion. But it's still probably more than most of you listening make in a year. She makes in one half hour speech. But she is the champion of the middle class, you guys. And that's my point. When she is positioning herself that way, you can't be saying, well, actually, the thing about not raising taxes on the middle class, I didn't really mean that. Just more raise taxes on everybody. So we can give away more free stuff. Even though it's not actually free because you're all paying for it. (sighs) Vladimir Putin, our friend in Russia is calling for an international security system. Earlier this week, this is from Fox News, Putin pushed global security system as Russia marked Victory Day. From Moscow, Russian President Vladimir Putin speaking at the annual elaborate Victory Day military parade in Red Square says Russia wants to help build an international security system that transcends military blocks. Putin's short speech on Monday also warned against unacceptable double standards that short-sightedly indulge those who are nurturing new criminal plans. Interesting. I mean, kind of like Iran? Dun, dun, dun! He made no specific accusations, but both the accusation of double standards and the call for a non-block system of international security echo Russia's frequent criticism of the West and the NATO alliance. The hour-long parade in which military equipment, including the advanced Armada tank and the Yars ICBM launcher, lumbered across the square and concluded with a flyover by dozens of military aircraft from helicopters to long-range bombers. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Here are my thoughts on this one. Ready? It's not going to take long. No thank you, Mr. Putin. We'd like to stay secure from you and your allies, like Iran. Plus, as you sort of mentioned without mention, we already have the UN and NATO, which are supportive... I cannot talk today. Which are supposed to be kind of like the world's peacekeepers anyway. And there's some other things that they're supposed to do, but that's kind of one of the things. And yet the United States still ends up doing most of the worldwide security work. Anyway. So no, maybe we don't need another one. And am I being all selfish and saying that Putin's plan would benefit everyone except the United States and therefore no, we don't want to be part of it? Yes. Is that evil of me? No. Because there are different rules for individuals than there are for governments. If you're my friend, then yes, maybe it would be nice of me to share my cookie with you. Because I am an individual and you are an individual. And we're friends, so we can share our cookies. But if you hack our government servers and fund terrorists and people that want us and Israel dead, then, you know what? We don't share our cookies with you. We tell you to sit down, and if you're a good boy, then maybe you'll get a crumb. Or, okay, maybe that's a little bit harsh. Maybe we'll give you half of a cookie. 
I have to say, though, Putin is one tough dude. I mean, we in the United States, we have this tradition where our president will go to a baseball game and he throws out a pitch and we all sit and we cover our eyes and we pray that it's a strike and we don't look absolutely terrible because our president can't pitch. Which, by the way, if you want to see the, one of the best presidential first pitches ever, it was President Bush at a Yankees game. Uh, I think it was the week after 9-11 best first pitch ever. There's a whole documentary. I don't know if it was ESPN or Sports Illustrated. Somebody made a documentary about that first pitch. It's really cool. You should go and watch it. I'm sure you can just Google it. But really good. But anyway, so we, we do the first pitch thing. Vladimir Putin, the guy is literally a black belt in judo. He's like super soldier dude. Like Captain America, but with an evil Russian twist. And he plays hockey. And apparently he plays it very well. Yahoo News has a whole article on him. Putin prevails in an all-star ice hockey game. The man played an all-star hockey game. (laughs) Russian President Vladimir Putin showed off his stick skills with a goal and two assists in an amateur ice hockey game at the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics venue on Tuesday. Putin, sporting a red jersey with blue trim and the number 11 on his back, led a team of officials, businessmen, and former players to a 9-5 victory over an amateur selection in the annual night hockey league festival game. The Kremlin said the 63-year-old sports fan was seen fist-bumping teammates, waving to the crowd, and firing shots at the opposing goalie. He was then handed a large trophy by former Soviet Union player Alexander Yakhashev. A judo black belt, Putin has often showed off his sporting prowess and has previously been seen on television playing ice hockey, exercising in the gym, riding a horse, and diving to the bottom of the Black Sea. Yeah. Although the whole trophy thing, I'm pretty sure the way that it works in Putin's land is that even if he hadn't won, he would still get the bigger trophy. Am I allowed to say that? (laughs) Is Russia listening? Oh, dear. All right. Moving on from Putin. Justin Bieber is done, you guys. He is just so over you. No more pictures for you pesky, pesky fans. Billboard had an article yesterday. Justin Bieber is apparently overtaking photos with his fans. The pop star posted a message to his Instagram on Tuesday decreeing that he is done taking pictures and won't participate if fans see him out in public. He said, quote, It has gotten to the point that people won't even recognize me as a human. I feel like a zoo animal, and I want to be able to keep my sanity. I realize people will be disappointed, but I don't know anybody a picture. And people who say, but I bought your album, know that you got my album, and you got what you paid for, an album. An album is in all caps. It doesn't say in fine print, whenever you see me, you also get a photo. Justin Bieber. He signed off, just in case you didn't know that from his Instagram account that this was him talking. Earlier in March, Bieber canceled all of his future fan meet and greets, saying they left him drained and unhappy from other people's, quote, spiritual energy, unquote. Okay. On one hand, and this may shock you, but I totally see his point here. The kid wants a semi-normal life, and his fame has made that pretty much impossible. I mean, can you imagine living in a world where you cannot step outside of your house without everyone on the planet knowing who you are and thinking that they are your best friend? 
Okay, well, maybe not everyone, because there are some people in the world that actually aren't Justin Bieber fans. But still, it's kind of one of those things where if you see Justin Bieber, you're going to want to take a picture with him anyway, even if you're not a fan, because he's Justin Bieber. And that picture is going to get you like 5,000 likes on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media platform you're on. So you're going to take the picture. But seriously, like especially if you're an introvert, and I'm not saying introvert in a, in a bad way. I'm saying if that's your personality type, if you have an I in your, in your ISTJ or INLP or whatever is your acronym for your personality type. If you've got the letter I in there, imagine that kind of a life where you could never... Not know people. Where you could never, unless you, like, you just, if you go outside your house, boom, you're, it's over. Everyone, everyone knows you. But there's also the flip side of this, and that's the part that he seems to be missing here, is that it's because of those fans that he is who he is today. His success is literally because of the people he's now saying that he won't take pictures with or have meet and greet events with because they drain him of his energy. And yes, there has to be a limit. There has to be boundaries. Celebrities are people too. They need their time. They need their space. But to say that you're done with fans forever... Like, absolutely no more? That's probably not going to work out so well for you. Especially when you're a pop culture star. In a world of pop culture. So, that said, you can expect Justin Bieber's next Instagram post to be something like this. Is it too late now to say sorry? Sorry, I couldn't resist. Had Had to go there. Anyway... We're going to finish with this one for this segment. Apple dormitories. And I'm not talking about like where apples that you pick off of a tree live. Not those kind of apples. From the Daily Mail. Exclusive. Inside the eerie deserted rooms where Apple iPhone workers lived eight to a room, showered in groups of 20, and paid for the privilege of doing so. Mold and mildew crawl up the walls of the communal bathrooms and the tiny, austere rooms are crammed full of bare bunk beds. Welcome to the grim dormitory complex where factory workers who made expensive Apple products lived in shockingly bleak conditions. Mail Online gave exclusive access to the four blocks which housed migrant workers employed by Apple contractor Pegatron until they were hurriedly abandoned just over eight weeks ago. 6,000 employees lived in the dormitories at the peak of iPhone 6 production, but many of the roughly 1,000 left were told not to come back after the Lunar New Year holiday in February, while others were transferred to dorms in the main factory complex. The exodus from the building on Shanghai's Kangchou Road East provides Chanko Road East. Oh, that's the name. Okay. Provides a rare and fascinating insight. Fascinating. Fast that's some kind of weird accent. Fascinating insight into the austere living conditions for staff at Taiwanese electronics giant Pegatron who work exhausting 12-hour shifts and are reckoned to make up one half reckoned. This has got to be this is a UK site, isn't it? Yes, okay and are reckoned to make up to one half of the world's iPhone 6s. And I saw this article yesterday, and I'm looking through these pictures, and I'm like, whoa, that is not, not cool. Because, I mean, literally, it is communal living, like, 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 just, they're bathing together. The toilet is literally in the middle of the floor with zero privacy. 
rickety little bunk beds. You're crammed in here. And the, the, it was deducted. the, the pri- For the privilege of paying here, you would have... Uh, I forget what it was. It was like... Uh, they made 250 pounds a month for for their services that they performed. And 16 pounds a month was deducted from that paycheck for... Uh, the privilege of living there. Twelve hour days, six days a week. To make Apple iPhone 6S. And when you look at these pictures as an American, it's appalling. You can go Google them. Obviously you can't see them because this is radio, but I mean you've got... you. It's just... Yeah. But the thing is, as I was looking at them from an American's perspective, I've been to I've been to Taiwan before, I've been to Hong Kong, and then I sat here and I was like, well, let me think about this. If you're coming from a province where there is zero indoor plumbing, and you're willing to work, you need to make money, you're trying to find a job. And I was like, you know, I, I'm looking at this like such an American. Really, what I should be saying is, wow. I have so much respect for these people that are leaving their homes and their families to move into the city, to work under conditions which we in the West view as 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 disgustingly appalling, but they're happy to do it. Because for them, it's opportunity. For them, it's a chance to advance themselves. For them, it's a chance to have a job. Meanwhile, we sit here and we complain because we don't make $15 an hour to flip hamburgers for four to eight hours a day. You know, a little perspective goes such a long way. Today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts Fundraising Opportunities. Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year-round and can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks. If your educational, religious community, or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals, Krispy Kreme can help. Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use, and you can visit KrispyKreme.com slash fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more. Our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. I know that was kind of a random transition, but I couldn't think of a good way to transition from iPhone 6S squalors to, to donuts today. Usually I try to be more creative than that, but I just failed today. We're going to play Sinking Deep from David Wesley. He's an acapella singer. You can find his stuff on iTunes and YouTube. This is Sinking Deep. Don't go away. We'll be back. We're uh, After Sinking Deep, we're going to play a clip from My Family Talk. We're going to highlight that today on the show. And then we'll be back. Stay with us. Hang tough. <laughs> that was Dr. Dobson with some thoughts for Parents of Toddlers this morning. You can hear Dr. Dobson's longer program, Family Talk, I believe it airs every day at 4 o'clock here on KVXL. Before that was David Wesley. This guy is an acapella. I really enjoy his work and his music. Everything, when you're listening to his music, all the different uh, ranges of his voice and the sounds that you're hearing, it's all acapella. Now, in that song, he did bring in a drum, but for almost every one of his songs it's all him and he does like the split screen if you go uh you find him on itunes you can get his music there but if you go to youtube you can actually watch him do it and see how he's got you know eight different screams screens of himself 
making all the different sounds that he's doing. I just acapella people that can do acapella music, especially if they can do it by themselves, it's amazing to me. Because I mean, I, you don't want to hear me sing this side of heaven acapella or otherwise. I mean, I could do a solo, solo that you don't have to hear it. But other than that, it's just not good. And I was going to throw in something theological there, but it would start a whole other debate that I don't want to get into right now. So let's talk about this instead. The most admired people in America, according to a new poll conducted by a UK company called YouGov. They polled the entire world to find out the most admired people in the world and the most admired people in various countries. And I was looking at this and I'm thinking, boy, you want to know why we have some of the problems that we have today in our country? You really don't need to look much further than this. Because you become like the people you look up to, the people that you hang out with, the people that you admire. So are you ready for this? The most admired men and women in America. Most admired men. Top five. Barack Obama, Pope Francis, Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, and Billy Graham. For the women, top five. Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Ellen DeGeneres, Malalia Yousafzai, I don't even know who that is, and I can't pronounce it, I'm sorry, and Condoleezza Rice. The top three most admired women in America are Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Ellen DeGeneres. Top three most admired women in our country. Hillary Clinton, the woman who defended a child rapist and laughed about it, let four Americans die in Benghazi, and is essentially a traitor who should be in prison right now. You may like her politically, but that's just a fact. Now, Michelle Obama doesn't have nearly that impressive of a resume of sheer wickedness, in my opinion, but she is nonetheless a diehard liberal who, when America elected Barack, her husband said that for the first time in her life she was proud of her country. First time in her entire life. But she's the number one most admired woman in America today. And then third, we have Ellen DeGeneres. Granted, the woman is funny, but she's a hardcore leftist lesbian who opposes traditional marriage and is totally cool with abortion and everything leftism stands for. Now you have to drop down to seven and eight to really, you get Barbara Bush and Laura Bush are back down at seven and eight. And there's two incredibly classy ladies. And then after them, you have Elizabeth Warren and Angelina Jolie that round out the top ten most admired women in America. I find that incredibly sad. I mean, not that these aren't, I was going to say respectable women, but in my personal opinion, not even all of them are respectable. And they're the most admired. Now, the most admired men, we fare a little bit better on that side, since we at least have Pope Francis and Billy Graham in the top five over there. But right after Billy Graham, number six, is the man who literally says he's a socialist and socialism would be good for America. That would be, of course, Senator Bernie Sanders. After Bernie Sanders, number seven is Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Arguably, arguably, (laughs) arguably, one of the most ineffective, worst presidents of the 20th century. Then after him, you have Donald Trump. And rounding out the top ten is Bibi Netanyahu, who ranks just ahead of George W. Bush. 
On on the bright side, there though, Netanyahu didn't even rank in any other country of the world except for Israel. When you become like who you emulate, is it any wonder that our country is where it's at today when these are our most admired and respected people? And we should respect the office of the president, I'm not saying that. But as individuals, these are the most respected people we can think of in America. And I'm glad that Netanyahu made the top ten. Because honestly, my personal opinion, if you had come to me with this poll and said, "Who's who? what person do you most respect, what man on the world stage, famous person, if you will, or politician, do you most respect as a, as a world leader or whatever else? Bibi Netanyahu would be very close to the top of my list. Here's why. You know, 9-11 is part of our past. We'll have a school shooting. Um, I think we have a couple a year right now. And we'll have a terrorist attack a little less frequently than that, at least currently. But Israel... Israel is literally under constant threat and constant attack. They are the only harbor for freedom in the Middle East, and their neighbors don't like that. None of their neighbors like that. None of their neighbors function as a free society. And in Israel, you have men, women, and children that are being killed, blown up, stabbed, every day. I mean, Israel's enemies are real, and terror is celebrated by all the people that surround her, and even some of those that live inside of her. And Fox had a story yesterday where there's, there's there's this video of a Gaza Kids Festival that f- the main focus of the festival is on killing Israeli troops. It's a kids' festival. No sign of clowns, arcade games, or pie-eating contests here. Videos from an annual children's festival in Gaza showed kids celebrating the killing of Israeli troops, showing off makeshift tanks and plastic guns during quick skits. The events apparently took place over the last month. One skit showed a child mock-stabbing two soldiers. In another video, a child dressed as an Israeli soldier was on his knees with his hands behind his back as two other children held fake guns to his head. Activists say Hamas gave the green light to the 8th annual festival in Kanyonis, part of what they call the group's ongoing efforts to indoctrinate children towards terror. The United States has designated Hamas a foreign terrorist organization. Israeli government spokesman Ofer Gendelman described the festival as an ISIS-like brainwashing. Last month, Israel discovered and destroyed another tunnel dug from Gaza into Israel. The two tunnels are the first to be found since the 2014 Gaza War, sparking concerns in Israel that Hamas is rebuilding its underground tunnel network in preparation for more deadly fighting. Kids, it's a children's festival, and they're celebrating it with demonstrations of kids killing Israeli soldiers. That's what their festival is about. Their kids' festival. And they brand it as part of their effort to indoctrinate kids towards terror. I mean, don't let people tell you that if Israel would just stop oppressing the Palestinians, then there would be peace in the Middle East forever. Because that is just not true. The Palestinians are teaching their children to kill Israelis and celebrate it. And we find a video of, of Jewish parents or Jewish kids doing anything similar to this. I dare you. Try. Try to find a video of, of Jewish kids celebrating killing Palestinians or holding guns to their heads. 
You can't find it. You won't find it. Because it doesn't exist. Because there's a fundamental difference in worldview happening right there and religious belief that makes one side want to kill the other side. And that's it. That is the bottom line of the whole conflict. It's not complicated. <sighs> Do I want to talk about the Golan Heights? Sure, let's talk about the Golan Heights. This is on a related note. Netanyahu said uh, last week that he, Israel will not remove from the Golan Heights, and he is standing firm on that. I'm sorry, not last week. In April he said this. It's from the blaze. Netanyahu says Israel will never withdraw from the Golan Heights. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Sunday that his country will never withdraw from the Golan Heights and the strategic plateau bordering Syria will forever stay in Israeli hands. In a ceremonial cabinet meeting in the Golan marking the one-year anniversary of his current government's formation, Netanyahu said he doubts Syria will ever return to what it was before the devastating civil war that has gripped it for more than five years. He said he would not oppose diplomatic efforts to stabilize Syria so long as they didn't come at the expense of Israel's security. Netanyahu added that regardless, the border would not change, and it was time for the world to finally recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan. I chose to have this festive cabinet meeting on the Golan Heights to send a clear message. The Golan Heights will forever remain in Israeli hands, he said. It's time, after 50 years, that the international community finally recognizes that the Golan will forever remain under Israeli sovereignty. Israel captured the Golan from Syria in 1967 and annexed it in 1981. An Israeli withdrawal was long seen as a key to any Israel-Syria peace agreement. But as Syria began to disintegrate, the odds of Israel giving up the Golan, never a popular prospect among Israelis, has dimmed. Since the aftermath of the 1973 Middle East War, the Golan has been the quietest of Israel's front lines, a place of hiking trails, birdwatching, and winery tours. Constantly looming in the background was the prospect of the Golan eventually returning to Syria as part of a peace accord. A plateau that looms over northern Israel, the Golan is considered by, by Israelis to be vital to their security, and unlike the West Bank, has carried far less political baggage. But it's the latest thing that the, that the world is telling Israel they need to give up. Like, now you just need to give this piece. Now you just need to give this over here. But no matter how much Israel gives away, it's never enough. I mean, good for Bibi. The guy is tough as nails, but he's also dignified and respectful about it. He commands respect without belittling, which is incredibly refreshing for a world leader right now. And he's saying no. He's saying no, we are not going to withdraw from the Golan Heights. Israel gives and gives and gives and gives and gives, and it never makes a difference. The Palestinians literally will not be satisfied until Israel is completely, 100%, wiped off of the map. Dennis Prager. If you don't know who Dennis Prager is, you should. Go check out Prager University. Dennis Prager has an excellent short video teaching about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's definitely worth your time. And I think it's only like five minutes long. But it's, it's so good. And so simple, but but specific. It's a really good five-minute history lesson about the conflict and what's happening and how it can potentially be resolved. But anyway, Golan Heights are the latest thing, and hopefully Israel and BB stand firm there. And if you want a fun Google, 
go check out pictures of the Golan Heights. It's a really beautiful area. In fact, all of Israel is really just gorgeous. It has incredibly diverse landscaping. God picked a sweet piece of earth for his children. In biblical times, Golan, if you're if you're an Old Testament reader, and you should be, it's Bashan. Bashan is where Golan was. In the first temple times, it was the uh, the contested area between the northern Jewish kingdom of Israel and the Aramean kingdom uh, based in Damascus. King Ahab of Israel, you remember King Ahab? He went with Jezebel. He defeated Ben-Hadad I of Damascus near the site of what is now Kibbutz Afik in the southern Golan. The prophet Elisha prophesied that King Jehoash of Israel would defeat Ben-Hadad III of Damascus, also near Kibbutz Afik. And in the late 6th and 5th centuries, 5th and 6th centuries BC, the region was settled by returning Jewish exiles from Babylon. There you go. There's a little bit of Bible history about the Golan for you. Golan and Bashan. I believe it's referenced in Deuteronomy early on. And then you can find it again in Joshua towards the end, I think, 20 or 21. If you want to read about Golan and then go look at some pictures of it, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool place. God gives his people good stuff. We're going to play Steve Green, People Need the Lord. Then we're going to come back real quick, wrap things up, and get you on your way this Thursday. You're listening to KVXL LP 101.1 FM. Don't go away. That was Steve Green with People Need the Lord. We are wrapping things up this Thursday. Thank you all for being here. You're listening to KVXL LP 101.1 FM in Las Vegas. Thanks to those of you listening over at the405media.com as well. It's great to have you with us. Just a reminder, there will be no podcast of tomorrow's show. So for right now, we don't have any podcasts of Tuesday and Friday shows. So if you want to catch Tuesday and Friday shows, you need to tune in live. And if you're not in Las Vegas, that's okay. You can listen online, kvxl101.com. Also, if you're listening via podcast and you're going, what what just happened? You said we were going to take a break and hear a song. And I was looking forward to the song and then there was no song and then you were talking again. And I missed the song. Well, yes, yes, you did. Because there are these things called copyrights and and things uh, like copyrights that make it so we can't play songs in the podcast edition. So if you want to hear the music, because I know you want to hear the music, or if you want to hear things like what we played earlier, Dr. Dobson's little uh, snippet of wisdom, then, you know, you you, you have to tune in live. You have to listen at 7 a.m. or 6 p.m., 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas or at KVXL 101. Dot com And I know you really don't have anything better to do. There are some people that are like, I can't listen because I'm getting my kids ready at that time. You know who you are. You know who you are. And I forgive you. That's a good reason. Your family should always come before the Frittle Show. God should also always come before the show. Actually, there's a lot of things that should take priority over the show. But if you're driving or if you have the opportunity to listen live, that is your opportunity to catch all the things that happen during our show. The podcast doesn't have all the things. It's really cool, and you should check it out. And you should, uh, it's, we're on SoundCloud. You can go to soundcloud.com slash show to listen to podcasts. Soon we'll be on iTunes, hopefully by the end of the week. just depends on how long the review team takes to approve us. Could be longer than that, but I'm hoping by the end of this week. 
We will let you know as soon as that happens, and then you can subscribe on iTunes, and you can listen all the time because you can just automatically have it downloaded right to your whatever type of device you like to use. And that will be cool. And you will be cool. You've always wanted to be cool. This will be your opportunity to be cool. (laughs) I hope that you all understand that I have a very odd sense of humor. And by now, perhaps you're catching on. Not everything I say, even if I say it in a serious voice, is always serious. In fact, I'm most serious when I'm joking. That's an old movie quote, and if you know what movie that is from, I'm going to give you a prize. I'm just randomly going to give away a prize today. Uh, I don't know what it will be. What, do you, what, what should we give away? How about a CD? We'll give away a CD. If you know where the random quote that I just said, you can't Google it. Google is not allowed. I'm most serious when I'm joking. You want a clue? I'll give you another clue. Here's another line from that movie. Insanity runs in my family. In fact, it practically gallops. Oh, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Anyway, that's all the time we have left for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Tomorrow is Fun Friday. Tomorrow we're going to give away coffee and a mug, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to do trivia. We're going to do fun stories because it's Friday, so we don't talk about politics. I know you're looking forward to that. I am too. So be here tomorrow, 7 a.m., 6 p.m., That's your chance to tune in live because there will be no podcast tomorrow. Monday, reminder, Monday's show. You don't want to miss Monday's show live because Monday's show, we're going to have Shark Tank's Robert Herjavec is here with us. He has a new book out called You Don't Have to Be a Shark, and we're going to talk about that. I cannot wait for that interview. I'm sure you can't wait either, so Monday is coming. Mark your calendars. Even if you're getting kids ready, you can play it in the background if you want. Or, yeah, we'll have a podcast of that show too. This is... Travis Ryan with We Believe Acoustic, and we'll see you, uh, I was going to say on Monday, but actually we'll see you tomorrow, because tomorrow is Friday. So we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone.